Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Let's give a big one. Time now for... We're not the kind of guys to say we told you so, but we... Told you so. Overreaction Monday. The cream of the crop. Nobody does it better. Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Hi, welcome to the show. Week two. Overreaction Monday. We will overreact and be mean about everything that happened in college football this week. And I got to tell you, just a little behind the scenes for you podcast fans. We're, the show is off to a disastrous start. This is our second tape. <laughs> <laughs> the first one, the tapes will be burned. First off, Pete uh, had the room, the room service, uh, the, or the cleaning lady come to the door of his hotel in Austin, Texas. I'm broadcasting from a car outside of <laughs> Cleveland Brown Stadium, down by the loading docks on Lake Erie. Just, precisely the kind of real estate that this podcast deserves. <clears throat> yeah. Surround, surrounded by Browns fans who are drunk on Super Bowl hopes and Bud Light. <laughs> Do not get knifed down there, Daniel. Uh, it's all right. They love me here in Cleveland. Yeah. How about the dedication to the, to the cause here? You know, we got you in your car. We got Pete fending off the cleaning lady. We cannot be stopped from ripping everybody who screwed up on uh, Saturday here in our Overreaction Monday podcast. They may recruit her to the Texas defense. She was pretty tough. Um, <laughs> she, may, she might be the slot corner next week. We have built a championship culture here. It's about doing the little things when no one's looking. It's about the off-season <laughs> workouts. That's right. Look, at, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of podcasts out there taping in their fancy little studios and making sure everything's good, preparing for the show, doing research, actually watching games so they know what they're talking about. Go find them. Screw you if you want that. I may start drinking with the Browns fans in the middle of this podcast. It's, I can't rule it out. Get one of them in the car with you. Yeah, we'll Some see. I don't know. We'll see. It's got, they got a mean cornhole game going over here. Um, <laughs> Mike, see what's happening. Down by the docks. All right. <laughs> Listen, we're all just living in Joe Burrow's world right now. LSU quarterback, four touchdowns, 471 yards. He lights up uh, Texas. He does a, 
uh, incredible play where he buys time in the pocket, holds, protects the ball, NFL play. Gets Justin Jefferson open for 61 yards at the end that just seals the game. Uh, then he does this little, some kind of wave thing after. Yeah, a little parade like wave, a, little Queen Elizabeth wave. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, royalty. He is royalty because <laughs> they have very fragile wrists and they don't want <laughs> too much waving. The the royal wave and then uh, and then Keenan Jones, LSU, plants the, the LSU flag in the middle of the stadium. This is why we don't do neutral sites. And then Matthew McConaughey has appointed himself the minister of culture at Texas. Just fantastic. He looks dazed and confused. Good one. Good one. Get that pun. Yeah. Ooh. Or he's high. Or he was extremely high. Possible. Smoked a lot of burnt orange. <laughs> Hard to tell. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, great game. Pete, you were there. Yeah. What happened in yeah. this? Uh, where did LSU get an offense in the 20th century? 21st so with, century. I'll what start century with the are fun we? stuff because I know you guys always yell at me when I talk about football too much. So. <laughs> I'm stit. I had all access with Texas. I'd been there since early in the week. And uh, so I'm standing in the locker room before the game and it's, you know, like pretty tense. There's a lot going into it. Big night, like being around like that. You, you do realize a little bit how young these kids are. You know what I mean? The, you know, the enormity of running out into a hundred thousand is very, it's very human. And I'll get to one of the, a couple of those moments a little bit later. But the first thing is I'm like standing, trying to be a fly on the wall way out of the way. And I look over to my right. And Matthew McConaughey is standing next to me with a green Gatorade bottle in his hand. I was like, oh, hello, Matthew McConaughey. So I introduced myself and just, you know, like try to get a couple quotes. Now, the Texas program, like I, I listened to a bunch of my tape yesterday, is literally the joke in my story is Tom Herman took a country club and turned it into a nightclub. It is like <laughs> the soundtrack is just blaring rap music. You know, instead of notes, sometimes you do stuff on your phone. I shazammed about 11 different songs, all by artists I'm sure Dan is familiar with, like Young Jeezy and, uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, <laughs> I'm really happy about my, like, little exclusive accidental interview with Matthew McConaughey, where he comes up with stuff. And so I go to, like, listen to it at 3 in the morning last night, and it's just this thunderous rap music in his, all right, all right, all right, voice that I can barely make <laughs> out underneath it, but... There was a cool moment pregame uh, that probably won't make the story because the player he went and grabbed uh, laid an egg and didn't play well, Keontae Ingram. So that Texas has one scholarship running back, and that's been mm -hmm. one of the big stories of the week. And I sat in the running back room. And so there it is. Matthew McConaughey goes up to Keontae Ingram. He's like a sophomore from Carthage, Texas. Really nice kid and country kid. Grabs and gives a big hug and tells me later. He, like, whispers in his ear, this is the show, man. Everyone will be watching. <laughs> There's no other atmosphere like this on the planet. You are in the show. Own that. Be great. And I was oh like, that was really uh, that was really cool. And then after the pregame prayer, so Colin Johnson, the really talented Texas receiver, uh, does a lot of their pregame prayers. He's a very, uh, very polished, articulate kid. So Colin says a couple nice words. McConaughey just goes, I'll go to church on Saturday night. <laughs> 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 and so at halftime they're kind of getting their tails kicked right there's like days in the locker room McConaughey kind of doesn't know what to do quite frankly I didn't know like what to do so I'm just standing in the locker room and he's got his 
cowboy hat and his Wrangler jeans. He's got his Texas shirt on. He just kind of has his hat in his hand. He's like looking around like, I don't really know what to say here. I don't know, the minister culture handbook doesn't have a lot like when you're, get, when you're getting pounded by LSU. <laughs> so anyway, there was some other insights we get into a later, but that was, that was the most podcast worthy. That and I'm standing on the sideline. The sideline's a mess, right? There's a billion people. There's right. basketball recruit. You know, there's you know, there's a ton going on. Former players. And I look over, and there's a dude wearing sunglasses. And this is at, like, 930. The sun had long gone down. I'm like, man, that guy looks familiar. And he's wearing those, like, expensive shoes that you see all the NFL guys wear that I, like, I wouldn't know where to buy them exactly, but I know it's not at Kmart. Anyway, <laughs> I'm walking away because when you're on the sideline, you got to, like, switch from side to side so you can stay out of the way and see the length of the field so you have perspective. And I'm like, oh, that was Terrell Owens just kind of hanging out, just standing there. And he's wearing a Texas hoodie. I was like, oh, okay. Anyway, there, was some, there were some adventures as I wandered the sideline last night. And he kind of did give, when the team was running out of the tunnel, he was in the background, he kind of did give, like, an all right, all right, all right. And I was like, all right. <laughs> So, but they, I mean, obviously awesome access, the kind of thing we all live for in this profession, except the team you had the access with lost. So. Correct. They did that. You are correct. You are correct. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I was that's like, the, I'm like, that's a, the way the dice go. I mean, you know, you yeah. roll the dice, you hope you got a 50, 50 shot. Yes. Yes. Uh, I had done something similar with Houston when they went opened with Oklahoma in 2016 and they kicked the tar out of them. And it was a yeah. great story. Now this was, it was an interesting story. I learned a lot. I learned about, about the Texas program, how it evolved. And I'm, I'm, we'll have a story up on Monday on Yahoo that, uh, that, that shows all that. We had a photographer with us, which I think adds a really interesting element to total access. He was there for basically three full days and you do get like a feel and a vibe of what they're building there and how they're building it. All of which would have been a much better read if they want. But they but they didn't. The two sort of like defining moments of post game last night. So like there is and you guys have been in them, I'm sure there is no quiet like a post game losing locker room quiet. There's just no. And it was such a stark contrast because all week it's just this bouncing nightclub energy. They are constantly Tom Herman, who himself is a little bit ADD in, in terms of like focus and simulation has the sort of the millennial mindset. So these guys are constantly just being fed music. They're dancing. They're doing anything. So, and even like, you know, pregame is this thing. So <clears throat> postgame, Herman gives a speech. Our goals are still in front of us, like kind of straight from central casting for a loss. Bob Bowlesby wasn't here handing out the Big 12 trophy. You know, proud of your effort. We got to clean up our mistakes, all that stuff. And then the units break off. Tim Beck talks to the offense and uh, Todd Orlando talks to the defense. And then when... When Beck finishes, they're about to break, and Sam Ellinger, like, darts in the middle of the circle. And he's like, I need to talk to you guys. And he goes on this full, like, two-minute soliloquy of, like, this is on me. This is on me. I started slow. I let you guys down. This is on me. And it was just sort of, like, one of those, like, really raw and organic moments of, you know, I had sat in the quarterback room a bunch of the week. So you feel, like, how much they put in and how much time. And Sam Ellinger got 2,000 text messages. It was his old phone from LSU fans, many of which were, like, perfectly putrid and vile and hundreds of phone calls. So like all this stuff's going on and you know, he's an Austin kid, grew up with the program and all flat. So anyway, everyone disperses after his, after his very poignant little speech and he just sat at his locker alone, staring into the ground. It was just like, you leave this den, you leave this, this arena. And then here's this like 19, 20 year old kid where just 
you know, feeling like he let everybody down. And a couple guys went over and tapped him on the shoulder, but he basically had like a wristband in his hand, stared to the ground and shook his head and kind of muttered to himself for two minutes. It reminded me of Dan's famous column, as much as I don't want to compliment Dan, from the Super Bowl when he just followed Tom Brady around after uh, after one of the Super Bowl losses. I get all the Patriots Super Bowls mixed up. But that was uh, – and it was just sort of this like really – raw and then like the SID eventually goes up to him the assistant SID and says hey Sam you know you got to do media and he just looks up he's like I'm gonna take a shower first it was just a, you just, I, I felt for him a little bit there he is and they finally like snapped out a little bit grabbed ankle cutter tape and, and went off into the night you feel all that emotion and then you feel it let go it was pretty compelling some pretty compelling scenes yeah you know it's a reminder like okay you want to be the starting quarterback at Texas sounds great yeah. <laughs> you know oh man yeah. I mean the pressure the the emotional ride, the depression. I mean, it's tough. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it seems like yeah. the best thing in the world. Then you got to do it. And uh, you just can't shake these losses off and, and, and things like that. So, well, but that's uh, yeah, that's the peaks and valley nature of the of this sport is more than any is football. You know, I mean, the highs are really high and the lows are really low and they come once a week. And that's say, you know, I take my hat off to Joe Burrow, who, you know, was Woo! beaten out at Ohio State. And uh, last year was good, but not great. And now look at him. I mean, he, he's the king of college football for the moment. Maybe it won't last, but uh, I mean, he was he was fantastic in a big, big setting. Uh, I looked it up. LSU's had one quarterback in its history finishing the in the uh, the upper echelon of the Heisman voting. That was Burt Jones in 1972, the Rustin Rifle. Other than that, <laughs> they have not come close to having a Heisman Trophy candidate quarterback. Joe Burrow could be that guy. We'll see. How did you look that up, Pat? I'm, I'm imagining you at like 11:35 last night coming to this. Like, where did you look that up? Uh, it was about 1:30, I think. Um, I, I uh, got looked up uh, all the uh, the Heisman uh, voting and and so where you just went to like a page where they were all listed and went year by year. No, no, actually, uh, actually, I think I found something where like it was like top LSU finishers in the Heisman. You know, oh, okay. Somebody had this, yeah. Yeah, I'm, right. I'm, I'm frightened about the wormhole that Pat goes down for that 40-yard dash. Every <laughs> week. There are some stats. The Rustin Rifle. Who can forget it? <laughs> Rustin Rifle, baby. Wow. Yeah, it's been a mystery why LSU could never get a quarterback. Oh. Uh, but now they have him. And, and, and how about Coach O? Oh, yeah. man. He's the yeah. hottest coach in the country now. I yeah. admit I was wrong. I didn't think he'd be this good. He's, this is the LSU – this team with an actual quarterback, I'm not mm. saying they will, yeah, yeah. but they can beat Alabama. They couldn't beat them when they were just running the ball. Like, that just wasn't working. Yeah. No. I, I, I mean, I'm amazed. Uh, Sully, play that play that, uh, that commercial. Okay, just imagine <laughs> this, okay? A man who once made this commercial when he was the head coach at Ole Miss is now like, the hottest coach in America. Hey, I'm Coach O. I just love my Hummer. I believe the Hummer is the best vehicle on the road. Big, tough, aggressive, and it represents everything that we want at Ole Miss. I have my Hummer. You need a Hummer. Tell them about it, JoJo. Mississippi, they are here. The new Rogers Dabs H3 Hummers are here. The folks at Rogers Dabs Hummer are first-team players. Come see them. Rogers Dabs and Hummer like nothing else. New H3 starting at just 32000 Love it. <laughs> Tell them, JoJo. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they still even make Hummers? Is that still a car? I don't think so. Like, are those around still? I don't know. They, they got like four miles to the gallon. Yeah, <laughs> right. They're like the absolute... <laughs> 
in, in climate change era that you're driving around a, a, a uh, an environmental disaster. But yeah, I, I got I a hummock. You need a hummock. Tell them about it, Jojo. I am uh, not exactly the most politically correct individual on earth, but even I would frown at someone pulling by it. I'd be like, really, dude? <laughs> really? Like, but those things are great to drive in, man. Yeah. That's right. That so, guy, uh, one of the top five commercials of all time. And I thought oh, that yeah. would really oh, yeah. be Coach O's contribution to college football. And it's a hell of a contribution. I mean, <laughs> I, I will never not listen to that and laugh. It's one of the greatest ads yeah. ever. And makes me want to go buy a Hummer, actually. Um, I'll go down to Mississippi. <laughs> that guy still got it. Th- you know, I don't know who he's got now. Can you imagine how boring the Hugh Freeze ones were? You know? Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, that guy, Mr. Yeah. You know, Ed Orgeron, right now, I'd vote his team number one in the country. Yeah. Got the best win. Sure. Got yeah. the best win. Yeah. Unbelievable uh, scene. This LSU team is, is rocking. And, uh, you know, uh, that's a hell of a win. Biggest win. And so they can get this done. Yeah. You got to think about last night. It's third and 17. There's two and change to go. Texas has one timeout. And every fiber of Ed Orgeron's DNA coaching body would have run up the middle, punt, and played defense, right? Make Texas burn the timeout and go play defense. So, and I'm standing on the sideline. Again, having spent a few days with Texas, like it would really help my story if uh, we have a climactic finish or they come back and win and, and there's a wild scene or whatever. And I would still maybe be out with McConaughey right now on Sunday morning if they had won. <laughs> so I'm standing there being like, all right, they're going to run it up the middle and they're going to go. And then Joe Burrow throws the ball over the middle, 62-yard touchdown pass, and I just did not see that coming. To me, that is like first-level, like, that is just the antithesis of run the ball and play good defense. It can be summed up. And how LSU's changed, how Joe Brady, the new passing game coordinator, has changed LSU can be summed up in that one moment right there. Because I just thought that was that was onions, as our friend Bill Raftery would say. Brass balls, big call. And, yeah, you, I, I, I walked away from that field last night thinking Joe Burrow is a Heisman leader and LSU is a legitimate national, national title candidate. Yeah, Saint uh, Joe Brady, Saints strategy, Saints uh, mindset for the offense coming in. And, boy, it's uh, worked wonders so far. Big win for LSU, positive down there. Uh, also a positive. At Tennessee, no boats sank in the Tennessee River this week. <laughs> Got to take your victories where you got this. Volunteer Navy is fully intact. So we got that. No boat fires. Um, Other than that, holy hell, the Jeremy Pruitt experience is quite a psychedelic trip. I am going to come clean to the podcast listeners. I had not been watching much Tennessee football the last year. I just assumed this guy had some idea what he was doing. Maybe he'd go big. Maybe he'd be like eight and four. Because, I mean, how bad can you be at Tennessee? Did you see this thing? Uh, it is. I, I have I have never heard of a broadcast crew, basically a Greg McElroy uh, particularly, like mock the decision-making without openly mocking the decision-making of a college coach like this. <clears throat> I mean, they were all over him the whole game. And it was a terrible game against BYU, but Tennessee was going to win. They got BYU had third and six on their own 20 with 16 seconds left and no timeouts, and their offense is doing nothing. And yet they drop back to pass, and Tennessee is supposedly in a cover three. This is what they said after. 
the word cover seems to be optional <laughs> or or Liberal use misun- cover. <laughs> misunderstood. I don't know if they, they got to define what cover means because there were two dudes wide open. Zach Wilson hits Micah Simon. He runs all the way down the field. He gets tackled, but they kick the field goal to tie it and BYU wins it in in uh, overtime. As bad as losing to Georgia State was for Tennessee fans, I got to figure this was even worse because this was literally like you cannot lose a game like it's there's only one thing can happen that like if you you put all 11 of your guys at the 50 yard line, you would have been better off. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, Coach Pruitt after the game, really, quote, really. You start wondering how you lose that game, end quote. (laughs) I think the part of Coach Jeremy Pruitt is the reason you lost that game. How long until Phil Fulmer is coaching this thing? Does he wait till after? He waits till after Alabama delivers a beatdown. Yeah, because he doesn't doesn't want to get smoked himself by uh, Nick Saban. So you wait until Halloween, though. Yeah. And then you then you ride to the rescue and relieve Jeremy Pruitt of his duties and, and resume your rightful spot that you should have kept back in 2008 in Phil's mind. Uh, no, it, it was unbelievable. I mean, I, I wrote last night that if last week was the was the worst loss in Tennessee history, this was maybe the worst single play in Tennessee history because it was absolutely snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. They they had the thing. BYU was in disarray. Clock's running. They don't know what they're doing. They had just looked like a total fire drill for the previous two plays. And then all of a sudden, everyone's open. As you pointed out, <laughs> Micah Simon wasn't the only guy open. Like, it's like, they're, boom, they're running verticals, and, and everybody in the Tennessee secondary is hooking up. It's like, what are y'all doing? And so then, you know, lays the pass in there, and then uh, Nigel Warrior, the safety, comes over late, misses the tackle, and boom, 64 yards later, they are kicking and barely making the tying field goal, and then they win in overtime. It was astounding. So I think for our podcast now, uh, with the way the Tennessee season started, we should have, uh, is it Flying Pilot Jay? Is that yes. the, 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 the disastrous NFL owner, Jimmy Haslam, who's also a disastrous ball booster, which is a great <laughs> duality to being a terrible NFL meddling owner and like your, your meddling booster from Central Casting. Like he should be our podcast hero every week, but we should have him sponsor a Sunday segment called Sully's Couch, where <laughs> our podcast producer, Sully, who is such a diehard Tennessee fan, his little Skype bio has him like wearing orange and doing like a bro hug with someone else. Uh, I'm assuming that's outside Neyland Stadium. And we just bring Sully on for like two minutes and we can, we can give him some like life advice and he can kind of like mumble. Like we, we can like check in and say, hey, Sully, have you started to root ag- at what point in the game did you start to root against Tennessee so they could fire Pruitt, fire Fulmer and reboot again because you're absolutely hopeless. It would be kind of a fun way to like, just gauge the fan experience of being a Tennessee fan. I I think it's been instructive having Sully to like kick around a little bit here. Um, You know, I have an appreciation for having like a Tennessee fan in my life just to experience the visceral misery firsthand. So, you know, get our crack ad team on that and see if we can, we can get a little Sully's couch segment here on Sundays. All right. More misery. Yeah. You know, there were two fourth down plays. Michigan's offense tried to convert and they just got blown up by the Army defensive line. Like the old guard Bo Schembechler fans, the old blue, go blue bloods sitting in Michigan Stadium had to just, I mean, just what was that? 
we can't move army. Yeah, that was a mess. And I, I will say, I mean, they were lucky to win and I felt badly for army. And I think America was rooting for army as the hardest it has since Operation Desert Storm. Uh, I think every, unless you were a Michigan fan, you really wanted to see army pull that out because they played well enough to win it. And they, yeah, they just shot themselves in the foot a couple of times. There was one false start penalty, second and one mm -hmm. at the goal line. Mm -hmm. And the fullback who played a really good game is a good player, flinches and gets called for a false start. They get up, they score that play. They're up two touchdowns. And I think they were going to win the game, middle third quarter. Instead, everything kind of shifts after that. And they just don't have that much margin for error. But the, yeah, now the Michigan offense, uh, you know, this is like the third different iteration under Harbaugh, and it's not getting much better. They're 72nd in America today in total offense. That's 18 spots behind Michigan State, and everybody thinks Michigan State's offense stinks. So they, they've got a lot of work to do on that end. I, Shea Patterson was very poor for much of that game. Bad ball security. Uh, the running game went nowhere. The offensive line was not good. Uh, the entire attack, as you alluded to, Dan, just seemed to lack an identity. So, and, and then some of the decisions that Jim Harbaugh made just absolutely defied belief in the fourth quarter on when, whether to kick, whether to uh, go for fourth down. He made two bad fourth down decisions that allowed the game to go into overtime. So faithful listeners to our podcast will know, like, we're not second guessing the Michigan offense being bad. We were first guessing it when, when it happened. Like, <laughs> Jim Harbaugh hired Josh Gaddis from Alabama and he interviewed, never met him, interviewed him on the phone for like 15 minutes. And this was like celebrated in the off season as a like, Oh, he's such a genius. You had to talk to him on the phone for 15 minutes. It basically brought in a guy with little research to say, you know what? You're going to completely change my football DNA. I've been defiantly pro style. There was some stuff with Kaepernick where they were a little bit evolved, but for the most part, he's an NFL guy came up in pro style system and they were just going to change it all in one spring. And it was supposed to work flawlessly. And I would be really curious to get the tapes of the conversations on those headsets the other night, because uh, I, I do wonder how much Harbaugh's football instincts, all, these head coaches, when you've been around enough of them, they always revert to what got them there when it's not cutting time. And I can't imagine Harbaugh just being agnostic to the play calling and the headset and all that. When the offense is a complete flop, I thought, the best chance Michigan had was to pull Patterson at halftime and bring in Dylan McCaffrey. They went out of their way at media day, basically to make sure McCaffrey didn't transfer to say, we're going to play two quarterbacks this year. We're going to play two quarterbacks this year. Well, if there was any day to play two quarterbacks, it would have been yesterday. And I know McCaffrey got in once on a third down, I think because there was an injury of some kind, but basically like I, I, Shea Patterson is not a good quarterback. He was not a good quarterback at Ole Miss and he has not been a great quarterback at Michigan. And at a certain point, you, this is, almost gives you more credit for what Nick Saban did in that title game two years ago when he pulled his generally excellent quarterback for one he thought could be better and won the national title because of it. Like, those are hard decisions to make. And, uh, yeah, I, 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 first of all, I give Army a ton of credit. They went into the big house and went toe for toe, should have won the game. They did the same thing at Oklahoma last year. Uh, Munkin has proven himself time and time again to be one of the elite football coaches in the country regardless of system place etc uh it is a shame like pat said that a that a program so predicated on discipline has a fullback flinch and put his hand on the ground and that ultimately leads to probably them uh them losing the game but 
if you're looking at Ohio State, Michigan right now after week two, and you see Ryan Day and Jeff Halfley's outfit just blitz a pretty good Cincinnati team, you know, 42 to nothing, I believe, in the uh, in, you know, in Ohio Stadium. Yeah. And you have you have army. The, the uh, my last take on this game is this, like I was blown away by the defensive push army's front got consistently against Michigan every fourth and short every third and short they were just pummeling them into the backfield and pushing them back and that has to be a little bit of a a, a scary uh, a scary sign um there was a little like verbal kerfuffle between Gaddis the OC and Mike Loxley the head coach at Maryland uh this year Gaddis basically intimated well I didn't call the offense but I did all the work uh, well, you can look at the, the books and the game plans I put together. Loxley saw the quotes snipe back at him. And Loxley's been calling offense for a long time. He was the OC at Illinois when they were good under Zook and everything. So Loxley went and hung 42 on a ranked Syracuse team in the first half the other day. And, uh, you know, Michigan is a struggle bus right now on offense. So an interesting dichotomy to uh, to, to that little uh that little off-season storyline. If, if you want to really aggrandize something, and we're not a, a, opposed to aggrandizing here on the on the podcast, he doesn't flinch. They don't get called for illegal procedure. They score. They go up two touchdowns. They win the game, and you look at the rest of Army's schedule, and they're favored in every other game. And they're 12-0 and 0 on Selection Sunday, the United States Military Academy, and they still have a game to play. And then what does the playoff committee do, do with 12 and 0 but still a game to play against Navy Army? That's what I was rooting for. That's that was my dream scenario I was thinking of when I'm watching them drive for the touchdown they ultimately didn't get. That would have been Absolutely. fun to see. Alas, it's gone. We all root for I'm a, chaos. I'm a situational yeah. yeah, situational anarchist and uh I was rooting for that. Does anyone know if Chip Kelly even works at UCLA? <laughs> like I know he's getting paid. He shows up on Saturday, but does he go to the office or does he just like hang out in Malibu during the week or like some remote cabin in New Hampshire with his high school buddies? Uh, the Bruins lost 23-14 to San Diego State. 36,000 dared to come to the Rose Bowl to watch this thing. The offense sucks. Recruiting sucks. The team uh, Kelly is three and eleven at o at UCLA. Oklahoma and Washington State are coming up next. He could start zero and four again. I I mean I I don't. Someone's got to explain this to me because two years ago he was the like surefire hire you could possibly get. Chip Kelly. Everyone wanted Chip Kelly. What the hell is happening with UCLA? They are awful and there's no end in sight you mean the guy that supposedly was the offensive genius is 127th nationally out of 130 teams in total offense after two games you th- is are that they, bad are they behind umass oh yeah think, they're absolutely how about that? behind umass how about that oh, yeah yeah no <laughs> I, i'll tell you this the only teams that are that are lower than them have all played uh, at least one Power 5 opponent. UCLA is 0-2 without having played a Power 5 opponent, and actually they've lost both games by two scores, Cincinnati and San Diego State. Uh, it's bad. It is very bad. And what he's, what he's doing, I don't know. I mean, I watched him in person at Cincinnati, and they, like, had no guys, no players. They had, they had one guy they had tried to do everything, Demetric Felton, uh, who was a wide receiver who they had playing running back, 
And then they just basically shelved him for San Diego State and tried to go with some other guys, but they weren't very good either. And so they just got no playmakers. They've got a quarterback who's not very good, and they got no other playmakers. And Chip Kelly's offense is looking outdated and ordinary without exceptional talent like he had at Oregon. I did not watch uh, much of the uh, any of it. I didn't see a snap of the uh, of the San Diego State game. I, I will just say that when he got there, part of the reason for optimism was that he had Dorian Thompson Robinson, who was like the number two spread recruit in the country at quarterback behind Justin Fields. He came out of, I believe, Gorman in uh, Vegas was, you know, the big recruit on the West Coast. Again, I have a small sample size on Dorian Thompson Robinson. I watched, obviously, the Cincinnati game that Pat covered. And, you know, I've seen him a handful of times. Excuse me, a handful of times last year. He is just not accurate. Like, no. he is not an accurate thrower of the football. And you can have all the stars you want. But, like, that to me is scary because, you know, he's the most important position. And you can't teach accuracy. Like, I re- I'm a firm believer in that. You're either an accurate quarterback or you're not. Now, you can improve and all that stuff. But so much of it is feel and timing. I think there's an innate part of accuracy that is scary. And, and he had decent numbers against San Diego State. Maybe they they, they catered a little bit to, uh, you know, to what he does. But that, that, to me, is the scariest part going forward. They got Kelly back, who was their best tailback from last year. They rushed him, and he was a good player. I think he was a former walk-on. He rushed 15 times for, for, for 53 yards. Joshua Kelly, who's a, uh, who's, who's a senior there. Um, but... Yeah, there, there just there aren't there aren't a lot of answers right now in uh, in 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 Westwood. And here's the thing about Chip Kelly: he is going to stay defiant to his process. Right? He believes he knows how to do it, and he's going to do it. And he's he's not going to start chasing five star guys if they don't if he doesn't think they fit in terms of that. Like, and again, look 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 how the tables have turned a little bit in L.A. right now with the way USC started too. So. Yeah, I don't have a lot of good answers there in in, in L.A., Dan. But, uh, no, it, it, it could be – they did get a lot better as last season went on, and we really haven't seen any of that progress translate to this season. If you were looking a couple years ago and said, uh, who would you rather have as your coach, Coach O or Chip <laughs> Kelly? <laughs> you and, kidding? And, and, and then go, no guess brainer. what? In, two, in a year and a half, or not even a year and a half, it'll be unanimous how everyone votes. <laughs> Look at nobody knows anything, especially us. Yeah. All right. All right. This week's edition of How the Hugh Freeze Turns. <laughs> the ongoing saga of the bad back. By the uh, way, give Pat credit. Pat had the big scoop. He was all over it. Yeah. Yeah. Pat 40. Uh, let's talk Pulitzer. Okay. Let's talk Pulitzer Prize. Yeah. You, yeah. You, you help alert the, the com- alert the committee. Alert the please. committee. Alert the committee. You help break this story. You had uh, many details. Uh, you a yeah. source you quoted a source that <laughs> that Liberty was was getting a a dental chair a dental chair the dental chair is the Medi Medilux MD four two thousand deluxe treatment chair not the not just of MD three two thousand the MD four <laughs> is you gotta play like your Power Five baby when you're Liberty <laughs> who the hell is your source a source close to a dental chair. What? Like you, you know got how it like the hygienist. Yeah. The, <laughs> like you know how like Woodward and Bernstein had deep throat. You had like what deep molar? Like what? Deep molar, absolutely. <laughs> what? How do you have a source near a dental chair? What? Tell. Explain. Deep spit sink, man. 
No, I, we, we don't reveal our sources, Dan Wetzel. We do not reveal our sources. But I got a good tip on it. Yeah. And uh, it, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, this is truly one of those things where uh, it actually turned out to be true. Like, like somebody <laughs> told me about this. I was like, this has got to be a joke. Somebody's joking. And they're like, no, they're, they're actually doing it. They are. They are not just they're purchasing a dental chair at who knows how much cost. And oh, then I do know. It. Thirty eight hundred bucks. You do. Thirty eight hundred dollars. Yeah. Thirty eight hundred dollars for the chair. Apparently they couldn't borrow or rent a dental chair. <laughs> In Louisiana. Imagine that. <laughs> so they purchase thing. They ship it. Okay. How much does it cost to ship overnight a Can't. dental chair? Probably a pretty good sum. <laughs> dental chair arrives before the Liberty Flames arrive. They get it set up there. I get the picture. More scoop. Get the picture of the chair set up in the uh, press box. And uh, that is where Hugh Freeze gets to preside over a second straight loss. It's a lot. Of, they went to a great effort so that Hugh could watch his team uh, get its tail kicked for the second straight week. I hope, Pat, when when the when the picture in these calls come from Deep Muller, it says like Colgate <laughs> on your phone because obviously a source this sensitive, you can't put their name in your phone. So I mean, this is high stakes stuff. So I hope there's some sort of like Doctor Brush or (laughs) some sort of that. My my favorite part of this was that there was actually like I'm imagining like the Liberty Athletic Administration staff meeting on Friday where they're like, you know what, we're gonna get mocked coast to coast for Hugh coaching in a dental chair. So let's spin it and insist to call it a medical chair. That way no one will make fun of us. Like that conversation (laughs) happened in like the executive suite of the Liberty Athletic Department where they're like, if it's a medical chair, people will feel bad for him because he has a medical condition. If it's a dental chair, they'll make fun of him. So, I mean, I expect whoever thought of that idea to be the next White House press secretary because we're about (laughs) due for one in two more weeks. That that was genius. They took great offense at the dental chair. I did not notice a spit a spit thing there so it might you know i don't know what it but when else you sitting in those chairs and i assume he wore his visor because he doesn't go anywhere without his coaching visor um does he go to the regular dentist with his coaching visor does hugh freeze (laughs) get his teeth cleaned with the coaching visor i i don't know this is uh they're gonna always come up with something down there i'll tell you that all right, let's uh, let's take our villain of the week. I, I'm just going to go straight to it because this is this deserves it. The Kent State Athletic Department, yes, Kent State. Oh yeah. Uh, so Saturday morning, this is just an atrocity. Saturday morning on the Kent State campus, the universities of Maine and Temple were uh, were playing a field hockey game because uh, you got to love college sports. Why not haul a bunch of kids from Maine and Philadelphia all the way to Ohio to play a field hockey game? got to get recruiting, you know, get in that recruiting footprint, Northeast Ohio for the main black bear field hockey team. Anyway, they are playing a field hockey game on the field hockey field, which is adjacent to the Kent State football stadium. Uh, always good to know. I didn't, you weren't even sure Kent State had a football stadium. They do. A uh, riveting game between Maine and Temple, 0-0 into the second overtime. Uh, how about that? And... Imagine being the the field hockey beat writer has got to detail a zero zero overtime game. <laughs> uh, really, editor, I got nothing. I got, I mean, like nobody, yeah, nothing happened. Anyway, 
at 10.45 a.m., the Kent State Athletic Department called the game off, ended the game, declared it a no contest because reportedly they needed to set up some pregame fireworks on the field, the field hockey field, so they could shoot them off right at noon when the Kent State football game began between Kent State and Kennesaw State. So the four field hockey players got a no contest so Golden Flashes could have some fireworks before their 26-23 victory over Kennesaw. <laughs> Boo! Free the field hockey team! <laughs> Has there ever been a greater sign of the self-importance football? What's on? I mean, I granted we do not run a field hockey podcast, but I got to take the side of the field <laughs> hockey kids here. Double overtime, man! <laughs> Hey, get hey, so that they can shoot off fireworks for Kent State versus Kennesaw State in daylight. Daylight fireworks stink. Well, who cares about field hockey? Who cares about Kent State football? <laughs> you want to talk about a bad product? I'm looking back right now, trying to find the last time they had a winning record. It was 2012. The last two years they were two and ten each year. They had to go to overtime to beat FCS Kennesaw State. And this program, they need to shove people out of the way during an actual contest. I will say, Maine, for what it's worth, is ranked number 24 in the nation in field hockey. So they're a hell of a lot better at field hockey than Kent State is at football. Show a little I had Maine at 18 in my ballot, Pat. I think they're a little underrated. Chronically okay. underrated. The, the Great Northeast value field hockey teams get shafted in those uh, polls. I can't believe Maine's got that good of a field hockey team. I, I, feel, like, uh, I feel like people should be... <laughs> alert to the fact that the same athletic department that canceled off-site field hockey game uh, also put together this college football schedule this year at Arizona State, at Auburn, and at Wisconsin. <laughs> so basically, they're using their football team, just complete disregard for their health, essentially, to go fill the coffers of the, the rest of their athletic department. I think a harder trio of games that a non-power five is playing. I don't think that exists. I mean, those are those are all like grueling games, and yet you send them to Wisconsin at the end of it to just like to just get pounded, right? Yeah, I mean, you're fodder. gonna get you're gonna get pounded by Auburn's D line. You're gonna get pounded by Wisconsin's O line, like you know, and then you'll get a big bunch of money and all your players will be hurt. And by the time you go into Mac, I do think Sean Lewis, the Kent coach, is kind of a bright, promising young coach. He came from the Dino Babers tree. They were bad last year. There, there was a little momentum in the program. But oh, they were pretty he, bad. They were yeah. pretty bad. They were 2-10 last year. No, I know they were 2-10, and 10, <laughs> but, like, they at least scored and had an identity. and sort of, like, they gave, they, there was, like, a pinch of juice there. And that how you keep that juice going, going through that non-conference schedule is unbelievable. But boy, the fireworks were good. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure, the fireworks yeah. were great. Dozens and dozens of fans were awed by them. <laughs> All right, so yeah, down on Kent State. Who knew? Who knew we'd be talking about Kent State in this podcast? It can go in any direction at any time. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? We like giving small sample Heisman. So Pat Forty, Heisman voter. Who did you give the small sample Heisman to this week? Well, who had the best performance in the biggest game? Joe Burrow. I'm going with him right now. He's just absolutely on fire. Uh, he's number two nationally in pass efficiency behind only Jalen Hurts. And Jalen Hurts hasn't played. He didn't he hadn't played at Texas. That's for sure. For Burrow to go into Austin in that environment and light them up uh, is really impressive to me. 
as we talked about earlier, made the huge play to clinch the game. And as we talked about earlier, he gets bonus points for the Queen Elizabeth wave to the fans on the way out. So he's he's showing me he's got the, the Baker Mayfield starter set. He's got the game, and he's got a little sass to him. Joe Burrow, small sample Heisman winner. Pete? He was also waving goodbye for the chances of me writing a good story. So I appreciated <laughs> that. Um, I took the uh, most scintillating game of the day and the MVP of that. I took uh, Colorado quarterback Steven Montez, 375 yards, two touchdowns. But more importantly, 24 fourth quarter points for Mel Tucker's Buffaloes. I mean, Montez has a cannon arm, averaged 9.1 yards an attempt on uh, Saturday, and really did a lot of this without much contribution from LaVisca Chenault, who's obviously the supremely talented potential top 10 pick buff receiver who had five catches for 31 yards. I did not watch a ton of this because it was congruent to the game I was at, but I'm assuming Nebraska clearly shaded him. But uh, Chenault's buddy, Katie Nixon, had six grabs for 148 and a touchdown. I kind of like the Buffaloes being relevant again. And I will add that Nebraska is just as big of a fraud as we thought they would be. Ranked after a four and eight season. Like, ah, <laughs> aghast at that. All right. I'm taking uh, small samples. Heisman winner is Kedon Slovis of USC. Steps in for the injury to JT uh, Daniels. Comes in 377 yards, three touchdowns in a massive victory over Stanford, potential season-changing, program-changing, everything. Who knows? This was big. Uh, kids from Scottsdale, he was not a big-time player. He said until he started working with Kurt Warner, second-generation grocery store bagger, I think we could call him. He's 18. <laughs> not only did he beat Stanford, but he took a sword and led the USC marching band after the game. Love it. Good job. You win the Heisman. All right, we have said many, many negative things here, many mean things, many nasty things. Pete Thamel, say something nice to close this show out. Well, my uh, my my work gambling, if you will, with my time last week blew up in my face. But I will say something nice about Texas A&M, for they backdoored all of us huh. who in the race for the cases uh. for beer and scored in the final 10 seconds to Pitiful. cover that, I think, 17 and a half point spread. They laid a dinosaur egg in Clemson, got blown off the field. Actually, they played okay. They moved the ball a little bit. But... They did that, and they pierced Pat Forty's heart. And I am saying something nice about Texas A&M because Pat went winless in the race for the cases, no, falling no, further no. behind US, Dan and us. No. USC covered. USC covered at oh, 2 a.m., baby. They did. They I did. thought I was going winless when USC was down two touchdowns, but USC rallied oh, fiercely. Okay. I went – I, I did actually read that text, so I, 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 I went uh, I went off of that. Uh, a winless Pat, the podcast is a little more fun when we have winless Pat, but one win Pat's good. We'll take that, too. <laughs> All right, my say something nice. Um, I'm going to say something nice about a team that lost on Saturday, actually by about, about its fans. I'm going to say something nice about Nebraska fans. God love them. They're suckers, but they're earnest, sincere, and they back their team incredibly well. If you saw the crowd in Folsom Field in Boulder, it was probably 70% red. Unbelievable. I mean, Colorado's excited for this game, and the fans still got completely bought out of the stadium. Out of 52,829 that were there, I am sure at least 30,000 of them were wearing red, and they seem to have all the good seats, too. It's uh very impressive. And that's kind of the way Nebraska fans roll. 
they don't seem to even notice that their team is no good. Uh, they didn't notice <laughs> last year when they were four and eight. They still thought they were going to be good this year. Now we know that the balloon has been punctured early by Colorado for the second straight year. But you know what? They'll fill the stadium next week against Northern Illinois, and they'll show up in mass uh, September 21st at, at Illinois. I give my credit to the Nebraska fans. That's a, they do show up, man. They are pretty much the program at this point. They just have yeah. a lot of fans. And yeah. they're very loyal. I'm sticking with Nebraska. This is a lot on the Colorado-Nebraska. Came wow. in late on this. Yeah. I'm saying nice about senior punter, punter <laughs> Isaac Armstrong, who was forced to be the kicker against Colorado. And that meant uh, he hit a 26-yarder before halftime. He went 4-4 on extra points. His first action as a college kicker. But in what I consider coaching malpractice, uh, after a bad sack and double overtime, he was sent out to try a 48-yarder, which he missed brutally because he's not a kicker. <laughs> I hate this. Scott Frost, this is on you. And he said it is on it isn't on him, but it is on you, Scott Frost. If you just because the guy is called the kicker doesn't mean you have a kicker. It is unfair to put these kids, and they all coaches do it in this spot and ESPN does it with their field goal. Oh, you're in field goal range. Hmm. According to what this, I I can technically drive a golf ball dead center, 270 yards. It happens once every decade, but I can do it. (laughs) And now this guy, Isaac Armstrong walk on from Lincoln has to watch his, Get, watch his failure on every highlight all over. And Isaac Armstrong missed the kick. Of course he missed the kick. So you know what, Isaac? You are my hero. I'm saying something nice about you. You shouldn't have been on the field. You did a great job kicking. Reasonable kicks. So good job. This loss is not on you. It's all on Scott Frost. Was that nice? I don't know if that was nice. Eh, well, you know, it's, it's its own brand for us. It's kind of snidely nice while ripping other people. <laughs> All right. Well, this disastrous technical pro- po- uh, podcast, which started in the parking lot and ended in the press box. Long story. Multiple takes. I got to go watch the NFL. We'll we tried hard for you, people. Listeners, we, we tried. tried. We work. Yeah. We work. We grind. We grind. <laughs> we may not be. We may not be any good, but we're here for you. <laughs> Uh, and, and look, you got the Hummer commercial, right? Got like, the if Hummer you're unsatisfied with the podcast, like just rewind it to the Hummer commercial. This listen, is the co- few, Coach O. Times. We are the Coach O Old Miss era of podcasts. Mm. I think we really are. <laughs> All right, I got oh. the dental chair getting pulled into the Cleveland Browns press box. I got to go. <laughs> we'll talk to you guys midweek. Uh, tune in then. Subscribe. Leave us some nice messages and all that. And uh, tell people to listen. We need more listeners. Thank you. Thank you.